0: In Acts chapter 19, so if you want to turn there, and we're going to look at the impact of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Now, just so you know, when we talk about his journeys, we're not talking about a road trip because he would spend a lot of time in these different places. And so Luke wants to spend a, a focus on what happened with this church in Ephesus. And this church in Ephesus is a becomes a prominent church in the area. In fact, if you remember last week, our, we were doing the seven series in, in, in the morning worship service, the messages I'm bringing about the seven, the letters to the seven churches. That letter was written sometime in around A.D. 90, and this is happening sometime around A.D. 50. So 40 years later, they're still doing the same things that they were taught by the Apostle Paul. This is still a prominent church. But we're going to see what the impact of his ministry is here. And we're going to see that God does some miracles. And that is probably only indicative, when you think about it, of the Apostles. And it's particularly the Apostle Paul. So let's look. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 11 through 20 and see some miracles. Okay? Look with me. At verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, stop for a moment. I want you, if you, if you are, um, if you got your own Bible, you don't mind writing in it, underline that word unusual. Okay, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now there Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to both the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Okay, there's, a, there's like several different things happening here. So let's take a look at it. First of all, Luke records that God did unusual miracles through Paul. Luke records that God did unusual miracles through Paul. Now the reason why I had you underline that word unusual is is that when you read what's going on here, I don't want you to think that this is even normal. That word unusual is a key word here, because sometimes you could watch on TV, and you watch some televangelist or something, and they're trying to do something similar to what the Apostle Paul is doing here, and they act like this is normal. No, this is what's going on here with Paul, and how God is working is not normal. Now, miracles are normal in the book of Acts, Right? miracles are normal in the ministry of jesus right so they're all aware of that but what's going on here some of what he's recording here is just flat out unusual and so this is something that's marking paul's ministry in ephesus so i want you to understand when we talk about miracles we believe in miracles But what we're going to see recorded here, the Bible even says it's unusual. Did you understand what I'm saying? The Bible even tells you it's unusual. So don't think of this as normal. These miracles included those who were healed by touching items that Paul touched. That's unusual, isn't it? So maybe an apron that Paul wore, because remember, he's a tent maker. He's a leather worker. Leather workers wear wore, wore an apron. So maybe somebody took an apron that Paul had worn and took it to somebody who was sick and the sickness left him. Or maybe a handkerchief. Some of you guys walk around with handkerchiefs or or or, or 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 whatever in your pocket and maybe he had a handkerchief and that was taken to somebody and an evil spirit left him. That's just unusual. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're seeing here that miracles were, occur- were occurring just simply by paul's interaction with items now i'm gonna stop for a moment we've seen this happen once before remember in jerusalem it records in the book of acts that when peter would pass by and his shadow fell on somebody they were healed folks this is only recorded in the book of acts as happening with one type of person who is it an apostle that's right brad an apostle do you understand this is unusual This is God doing unusual miracles, okay? Unusual miracles. Now, because of the impact of Paul's ministry, now Paul's having a great impact of ministry here. Because of the impact of Paul's ministry, the Jewish exorcists began to use Jesus' name. All right, let me just stop for a moment. The concept of demons and demon possession is not just a concept that Christians have. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. All cultures, all religions throughout the world recognize that there is a phenomenon that does happen where people do become possessed by something, what we would call a demon or an evil spirit. Do you understand? So when you look, especially the ancients, When you look back, they all had their own types of exorcists, okay? So for instance, remember when Jesus, when they said that Jesus was casting out demons by by Beelzebub? Jesus put it back on them, well, who then are your own sons casting them out by? Because, you know what I'm saying? Because the Jews would cast out demons as well. So the point is, is what I want you to see here is, is that, of course, there's a Jewish community in Ephesus. They have these exorcists they begin to see the power of Paul and what's happening, these unusual things with him, and they know that it's happening through the name of Jesus because notice what the passage says. Jesus whom Paul preached, Okay, they begin to use the name of Jesus in their exorcisms. In fact, he's going to give us an illustration of that now. Luke points to the story of the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva is a Jewish high priest, and he has seven sons. So Luke points to the story of the seven sons of Sceva who did this with an evil spirit. Now the story, can I be honest with you, why, why do you think this story is included? Let me ask you before I tell you why I think it's included. Why do you think this story is included in the account of Acts? Okay, so, yeah, it's to illustrate what the text is saying. Okay, that's good, Bruce, that they began using the name that Paul did it in. Okay, because they didn't have that authority. They weren't having the same success, so they were using, using Jesus' name. Okay, so that's a good illustration here. So it's not, this is not something, again, it's history now. This is a historical book. This is not a doctrinal book, but it's a historical book, not necessarily telling you what you need to do, okay, and to be honest with you, when you read what happened to them, none of us want that to happen to us, right? Okay. So the point is, is that it, it, it's it's Paul's, it's Luke's, wanting to show you the unusual things that are happening in Ephesus. But there is something that comes out of this story that I think is interesting for you and I. Okay, something that's interesting for you and I. So he points to the story of the seven sons. So they go in. And they they want to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus whom Paul preached. Now, the demon stated that he knows Jesus or he knows Jesus by experience. Now, here's the difficulty with our English translation. With the Greek text, the word know, a lot of Greek was a very precise language. Okay? And so for them, when they used the word when they had a word that we translate no, it had a specific meaning. So the word there, I want you to recognize that the word there that it used, that when the Spirit says, Jesus I know, that's one Greek word for no. When you get to where he says, And Paul I know, that's a different Greek word for no. We have the same word, no. So we assume it means the same thing. Actually, it doesn't. The word know, when he talks about Jesus, the, de- the demon is saying, Jesus I know by, are you ready for this, experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus I know by experience. Now, would the demons know Jesus by experience? Why? Yeah, Jesus has been there from the beginning. He was there when the angels were created. Jesus was there when the angels fell, when those demons fell. Jesus knows those angels. They know Jesus. They know who he is. They know him by experience. So, okay, like, it would be like saying, Rob, I know. Okay? I know Rob by what? Experience. Okay? I know all of you by experience, right? Okay. Now, When we get to the next word, the demon also stated that he knows Paul or he knew Paul by observation. It's a different word. has a different meaning. Not by experience, but it means that the demons knew Paul by what? Observing him. They had knowledge of him through observation. Do you understand? Totally different meaning now. And so listen to what they're saying. We know Jesus by experience. And we know Paul by observation. Okay? It's like this. Okay, I said, I know know Rob by experience. I know Trump by the news. Do, Do you know what I'm saying? That's the same type of knowledge that I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? I know Sam by experience. I know Obama by the news, you understand, by observation. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a different thing, okay? A different thing, different type of knowledge, okay? Now, the demon stated that he did not know them. Who are you? I know these guys. I know Jesus by experience. I know Paul by observation. Who are you? And he attacks them. He puts a serious beat down on them. Do you know what I'm saying? He puts a serious beatdown. Now, would you say it's a serious beatdown? Look at what the text says, okay? He leapt on them, prevailed against them, verse 16, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Look, if you're running out after a fight and you're naked and wounded, did you just have a serious beatdown happen on you? You better believe it, okay? You better believe it. So the news of the encounter with the demon caused many to fear the name of Jesus. What do you think that is? What do you think this story when it spreads throughout Ephesus? And trust me, would that spread throughout Ephesus? Think about what happens in our towns if there's some kind of kerfuffle that happens and it how quickly does it spread through town? And you don't even need Facebook to spread it through town, right? You know, so word gets out. So word got out of this encounter with these seven sons of Sceva, with this demon, and what the demon said, and what happened to them, and they're like afraid of the name of Jesus. Why do you think that is? I mean, we should have a fear. Okay. You're, yep, you're right, Cindy. We should have a fear, but I want you. but we're talking about not everybody in Ephesus is a Christian, right? So what we're seeing is among the Jews and the Gentiles, they feared the name of Jesus. Why? Why do you think that is, Tim? they see what a demon can do, he's Okay, so what you're saying is, is, so they're afraid, they know what the power of a demon is, but the demon is what? Acknowledging. Yeah. Yeah, he's, the, the demons acknowledge that He's scared of Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's good, Tim. All right. So what you see here is this. These incidents are showing the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus in that area. So let's go on. This is not all that happens here. This is not all that happens. Okay? Not all that happens here. So those who believe openly confessed their evil deeds. Now, this is one of the things I think is interesting about the early church. Things were a little bit different back then. We've come to a little bit more of a, well, I don't even know how to describe it. We're we're in a different place in our churches today. But in their day, when people came to the Lord, they would openly confess the things that they would do wrong. They would openly confess. That was a part of their time together. In fact, there have been other times when that's occurred in churches. Can I tell you when that is? When revival happens in churches. So I was just reading here about the great Welsh revival that happened at the beginning of the 20th century in Wales that had a major impact in the world. And they would talk about, listen, this is what a normal Welsh in Wales, in England, this is what a normal normal service was at that time. Is they would come to prayer meeting, only there wasn't a preacher. The preacher was there, and what they would do is, is they would spend, they would be spontaneously start singing a hymn. When the hymn was done, after maybe they sung it for a while, then somebody would stand up and openly confess that I've done wrong and confess their sin. We would never think of doing that because we would say that's private, right? Then they would have a time of openly confessing, openly seeking forgiveness, experiencing that forgiveness. There would be the reading of Scripture. Again, more confession happened. And the tremendous impact, they said, listen to me, that literally in some communities the police were unemployed because nobody was going to the bars anymore that nobody was fighting and so forth, things like that. It had a major impact on their community. That was revival. This is happening here in Ephesus. All the way back in Ephesus, people are beginning to openly confess. And notice the word that the text uses, evil deeds. We're not just talking about any wrongs. We're talking about the evil that they're doing, okay? Now, those believers renounce their past involvement in evil by destroying their occult items, Remember, this is a pagan culture with many gods. And so the issue of the occult is is that some of these folks had many items that were involved with the occult. Now, let me just explain something to you so you understand. The occult is not just simply, although it can be, involved in the worship of Satan. We like to categorize everything in simplistic terms in the church, and we like to say that the issue is the worship of Satan with the occult. We're wrong on that. The issue of the occult, although the symbols may be demonic and the symbols may be satanic, the issue isn't the issue of worshiping Satan. It is the worship of something, but can I tell you what it is? It's the worship of power. Power over people. So in this culture where they're steeped in paganism and the manipulation of the gods, They would learn spells and learn occult practices so that they could have power over what? Other people around them. Do you understand? But when these people came to Christ, they renounced their past involvement in the occult uh, by destroying their occult items. And the text makes it clear that some of these people had some, some kind of items that were flat out very expensive. Like lots of money was invested in the occult in, these, in some of their practices so, so that because of Jesus coming into their lives, they t- walked away from it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they, and they burned it. They got rid of it because they were leaving that old life, what, behind them. Do you understand? We don't see that very much anymore, do we, where we see people making that kind of turn in their life where they walk away. Do you understand? Where they walk away. Now, Luke records that the impact of the word of the Lord grew and overcame. Grew and overcame. If you look at verse 20, I think the word there in the New King James is prevailed. That it grew mightily and prevailed. The impact of God's word was it grew mightily and prevailed or, or overcame. All right? Now, look with me now at verses 21 and 22. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And he went into Macedonia and he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered uh, to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. All right, so let's talk about here. First of all, Paul shared his plan to go through Macedonia, then to Jerusalem before heading to Rome. So he's telling you what his plan is. Paul, at this time, has probably written the letter to Rome that we call the book, the, the book of Romans, okay? So he's expressing that he wants to go to Macedonia, probably to check on the churches there, go back to Jerusalem, and then from there go to Rome, okay? Now, Paul sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia while he ministered in Asia Minor. So he sends, he kind of sends a crew ahead of him to prepare things. He sends two of his trusted guys, Timothy especially is trusted, ahead of him. But something else happens, which is what we see in verses 23 to 41, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, because there's a riot in Ephesus. And the Jews didn't start this riot. Okay? This is an interesting riot, because it's not the Jews who started it. So look with me, At verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. All right, let's stop for a moment. What's the way, folks? Christianity. Okay, you are a part of the way, whether you realize it or not. Okay, let's go on. And a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, or Artemis, some of your texts may say Artemis, okay, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you who know, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying, There are no gods. Which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Greatest Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Okay, that's interesting. Then they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for two hours. Listen to this, they cried out for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, and the image which fell down, and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do not and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of the temple nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open, and there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make it shall be determined in lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on here. Let's look at this. First of all, it starts out with a complaint, okay? The complaint of the silversmiths. The silversmith, Demetrius, gathered the silversmiths together, okay? Gathered the silversmiths together. Chances are they all belong to a guild. What is a guild? Well, it's like a union. And so they gathered together, and Demetrius gathered them together because he's got a complaint. He's got a problem, okay? So he brought the complaint that the Christians were affecting their prophets, all right, so stop for a moment. What did they make their money from? What did the silversmiths make their money from? They didn't make it just from making jewelry. Yeah, they made idols. In fact, they made little Dianas. Some of your texts read Artemis, okay? In Ephesus stood one of the seven wonders of the world, that most of which don't exist anymore. And one of those was the Temple of Diana. And in the Temple of Diana, they had... Also an item that they claim fell down from Zeus, which scholars believe probably was a meteorite, okay, that they had found, and they believed it came from the gods It was in the temple. So the great temple of Diana, which Diana or Artemis is the goddess of what? Love. It's a fertility goddess. So do you understand? Just so you understand, the ancients didn't think just in terms of love. They thought in terms of people getting pregnant and having babies, okay? So you would go to the temple, make an offering so that you would have a baby. And what kind of baby do you want? A male baby. Okay? So he brought a complaint that the Christians were affecting their prophets. Why? Because as more people are coming to the Lord, guess what? They're not buying my little Artemis that I'm hanging around my neck. Like you guys hang the crosses around your neck. You know, they were hanging a little... little statuette or something of Artemis. And to be honest with you, some of the ancient pictures of Artemis, they were pretty ugly, okay? The, you know, the, the goddess that they worshipped was not the beautiful thing that you watch in some movie on TV. It looked pretty ugly, okay? Now, because of the number, number of people turning to Christ, so you're looking at what you're seeing here is a record that the church is having a major impact in the community, So because of the number of people turning to Christ, the worship of Diana was affected. So what does that mean? The crowds that would normally show up to the temple to worship Diana were not the same anymore. They were were not seeing the same people there. So that's affecting the area. Are you ready for this? Economically. A lot of things always have to do with money. Do you understand what I'm saying? Money. That's the chief issue here with these silversmiths, is their bottom line was being affected. Okay? So the silversmiths stirred the city to riot and they seized some of Paul's companions. So they started a, a ruckus. And how they started a ruckus was they went around chanting, Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Okay, that was their chant. Okay? Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Alright? Now, People wanted to go speak to the people. Paul wanted to go to speak to the people, but his friends warned him from going. See, that's the kind of guy Paul is. Paul wants to go and calm them down by speaking to them, but the friends are saying, don't do that. First of all, do you think the friends are wise here? Yeah, because Demetrius has singled out Paul as the reason why this is happening in Ephesus. What do you think would happen if Paul showed up there? Yeah, they would probably kill him. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's how they handled things back then, okay? Now, the Jews push Alexander. So the Jews are there. And remember now, the way is seen by the Gentiles as simply a sect of Judaism. It's just a sect or a splinter group off of Judaism because most, most of the believers would have been what? Jewish And they're talking about a Jew who died on a cross. So the Gentiles would see this just as some group of Jews. So the Jews push Alexander to defend them from the charges of the mob. Because they're not just blaming the Christians probably, they're blaming who as well? The Jews. Remember, we already talked about, we talked about Priscilla and Aquila. They were told, the Jews were told to leave Rome. Remember? Because of the turmoil that was there because of the, Group from Christus, okay, or what we would say is from Christ. So, upon hearing that Alexander was a Jew, the mob shouted for two hours. Think about this. This is not some soccer. They're in an amphitheater. Thousands are there. For two hours, they're shouting one slogan. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Wow. I mean, you're talking about they are out of control shouting, okay, Shouting. Now, before I get to the next point, here's what I want you to see. Now, when you read the text, here's the interesting thing. They've got they've they they know where the amphitheater is, and they know that thousands could sit there. The text tells you that not everybody who had gathered and not everybody who was worked up, a lot of them didn't even know why they were there. Do you know what I'm saying? It was just a mob group and they're shouting and everybody's getting involved and everybody's hollering and everybody's screaming and everybody's upset but a lot of them didn't even know why they were there. They're not even sure why they're there. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are just get worked up. Now what does that tell you about human nature? Yeah, I mean you can get worked up real easy without even knowing why you're worked up, Right? just tells you that people got a lot of pent-up anger ready to let be let go. Wouldn't you say that's true? Just looking for an excuse to what? Release it, okay? Looking for an excuse to release it. So now, there is a sane person there. There is somebody who's there who knows a whole lot more than they do. He's not a Christian, but he's a bureaucrat, okay, he's a clerk. The city clerk addressed the mob to calm them down. So the city clerk gets up, probably everybody knows who he is because they probably have to come and do some kind of business with him. Like if you live here in Kerwinsville, if you had to do any kind of whatever as far as getting a permit or something and you go to the to the uh, borough office there, you probably know who the city clerk is in town here. You understand it? And and you because you it's the same person and you deal with the same person. So probably the city knows who the city clerk is, and he gets up and he calms the group down. He tries to calm them down. He pointed out that their assembly was illegal and would draw the anger of Rome. Okay, so let me just tell you something. They are a Roman city and a, what is considered a peaceful Roman province. Now, let me explain something to you about Rome. Rome pretty much was top-down. They granted a lot of authority to the local level as long as there was what? Peace in the community. The one thing that they did not tolerate, the Romans would not tolerate, is upheaval. They didn't like upheaval. And so what would happen, and history shows this, if a community did what they were doing and began to riot for no apparent reason, the Romans would come in, literally come in, and wipe everybody out because they don't need this kind of thing happening in the empire because they got to keep the empire, what, together. So they're pretty heavy-handed. So this clerk knows, okay, wait a minute, now nobody knows why we're here. We're creating a big kerfuffle. I think it has something to do with Demetrius and his group. And we got to get people realizing that we're treading on thin ice here. So he gets up and says, Hey guys, everybody knows about our Diana. Everybody knows about the worship, and everybody knows that we are the defenders of that. Everybody knows that. And everybody's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and everybody knows that there are lawful reasons for the people to address their stuff. By the way, what we're doing right now is illegal and Rome won't be happy. You think that got their attention? Yeah, you better believe it, it got their attention. Okay? It got their attention. Would draw the anger of Rome. So he suggested that the silversmiths pursue their complaint in courts. Look, if this is an issue where they feel that this is affecting their bottom line, take it to court. Let the courts figure it out. That's what the courts are for. Now, here's the problem. Do you think the courts would have dealt with it? Probably not. Because you can't make people buy your what? Little fake idols. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not the way to handle it. And I guess they knew that, okay? So he then dismissed the crowd to go home, and they did. Cause here's the thing. You're, let's say you, we're all part of the group here. Okay. Let's, we're part of the thousands who are gathered there. Why are you here? I don't know, but it seems like a really good time. Greatest Diana! Ah! You know, and, uh, you're not even sure why you're there. You're like, ah! And a guy gets up and says, hey, by the way, what we're doing is illegal and it's going to draw the Romans and our lives are in danger. Go home. Okay. See ya. Cause most people are not concerned about the issue. They're concerned about their own what? Lives, their own safety. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's what's happening here. Now, next week, we're going to see that Paul begins what he says, his wanting to strengthen the churches before he heads to Jerusalem and then ultimately to Rome. So we're going to start looking at that next week.